good morning. Hope everyone is doing well on this beautiful Sunday morning. My name is Pastor Ryan. I am senior pastor here at Church of the Atonement. We'd like to welcome you to our virtual gathering for worship this morning. Uh, there are many of us scattered around the country, scattered around the world, uh, huddled around tiny little screens or maybe projected onto televisions this morning, but we're gathering in the name of Jesus Christ to worship one Father that we all share and to uh, learn and be encouraged from God's Word this morning. If this is your first time visiting with us, we'd love to have you uh, let us know by giving us uh, a message either on Facebook or sending an email at info at We'd love an opportunity to introduce ourselves to you and get to know you more. Uh, we'd love to hear how you found out about Church of the Atonement, so please you know, be courageous and be willing to reach out to us and let us know um, if this is your first time with us this morning. We do look forward to uh, hopefully having you with us whenever we begin the, the process of resuming regular services when that time comes. Um, also, if you're not uh, receiving emails, then you probably don't know about some of the offerings that are happening for children's ministry pertaining to Sunday school, uh, even a Sunday school that's being offered for women's ministry or our young adults uh, through our Compass class. So we'd love to make sure that you're plugged into that information and other information as it, what? And Wednesdays. Sorry, there will be a new class starting Wednesday, uh, June 3rd. Stay tuned. It will be on Revelation, taught by David Galletta, uh, a beloved uh, member of this church and a missionary that we support who uh, is currently here in, uh, in the States. So we uh, would love for you to have access to those uh, information on how you can get plugged into those classes. You need to be on our mailing list to have that information. So info at atonementlife.org. Uh, just let us know, hey, I want to be on the list, and we'll get you plugged in in that way. Um, today is Pentecost Sunday, actually. It's a, it's a day in which we commemorate the coming of the Holy Spirit. It was that day when God began to fulfill the promise of taking residence in the hearts of his people. And so it's a wonderful thought for us to remember as we come to this moment in our service where we come to the Lord and prepare our hearts to worship him in spirit and in truth. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for blessing us with this day. And uh, Father, as we um, conclude the month of May and look at beginning the month of June, just tomorrow, we are so th thankful for this opportunity to gather in your name, to be a people who are uh, called to be your children, and that you have called us together to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you for placing your spirit to dwell in our hearts, to help us live, to be more and more uh, like you, like Christ. And so we pray that the spirit would help us as we worship today. Help us to keep from being distracted. Help us to stay focused on what you would have us to know and, and study in your word. Help us to stay focused as we concentrate uh, our efforts in prayer the many needs that are, are uh, happening in the life of our church and in our country right now. So we ask for this help, uh, Father, in Christ's name, amen. Good morning, good morning. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come this morning to worship, to praise, to exalt God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Hear now the call to worship the Lord from Revelation. After this I looked, 
And behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Amen. Clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, come let us worship the Lord our God. Let's sing together. Rejoice, the Lord is King.
provided atonement for our sin. In a book I have at home called The God You Can Know, he says, why do we confess? The author says, why do we confess? And the answer, he says, is so that we can have our joy restored. Brothers and sisters, let's confess to the Lord. Our Father and our God, we stand before you this morning dirty and unclean, we stand before you with dirty clothes, just like Joshua the high priest. Our hearts are unclean. Our motives are selfish. Our thoughts have been unholy. Our loves have been stained. We have neglected the path of right, choosing instead the wide road of destruction. Father, we hated other people this week. We've not loved as you command and teach. We've complained bitterly. Things did not go our way. We've slandered others. We've taken others for granted. We confess we do not have the power to wipe the stains away. We are unable to change our hearts. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are powerless against sin. Father, Father, we confess to you this morning. We are broken 
people. And we are surrounded by broken people. Today, today we stand in need of the only good news that can deliver covenant breakers and lawbreakers like us. Jesus came to set the captive free. Jesus came to set us free. Free from the chains of sin and every vice. Forgive us. Forgive us, Father God. Forgive us. We plead mercy today. And we ask mercy through Jesus Christ, our deliverer, our king, and our brother. We make this prayer of confession, Lord, through the name of Christ Jesus, God, man, Emmanuel, God with us. In his name we pray, amen and amen. The Spirit of the Lord gives us, through the Word of God, assurance that our trespasses, that our law-breaking, that our sins are forgiven. He gives us assurance of pardon. Hear it now from the Scriptures. For our sake, for yours and mine, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I and you are the foremost. For Jesus himself is our peace. Amen and amen. We thank God that we're able to be here to worship today. And part of our worship is giving. So if you'd take, like to take now while... Our uh, worship team continues to play. Take a moment and give to the Lord. We thank you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The song we're going to present uh, today is a setting of well-known prayer that's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I wrote this a couple weeks ago uh, as a gift for Mother's Day. For this is a prayer that has been dear to my mom for many years. St. Francis was a 13th century monk whose enduring legacy is one of conciliation, kindness, forgiveness, and restoration. In this text, he uses a, a rhetorical device that we see in the Gospels as well. It works like this, where there's hatred, let me bring your love, injury, your pardon, doubt, true faith, darkness, light, these opposing ideas. This text is not only appropriate for the scripture passage that uh, Pastor Ryan will be preaching on in a few moments, but also for the current state of our nation and its people, which is fractured and who are damaged and hurting and mistrustful and angry. I don't expect you to sing along. The lyrics will be presented on the screen. Uh, instead, I ask that you will listen and make this uh, your prayer.
much, Luke. What a great guiding prayer for us as we um, enter this weekend and enter God's presence and worship him together, but also carry with us the burdens and concerns that uh, are upon our hearts and minds with health and uh, the state of our nation in these difficult times. It is uh, time for our children's message, and uh, so I today have brought with me a prop to go along with our children's message. How many of you know what this is? Let me hear you tell me what it is. That's great, yeah, it's a baby bottle. It's a baby bottle. Um, one of the things that I love about the Bible, and I love this so much, is that when God wants to tell us something that's really, really, really important, he uses words that help us use our imaginations to understand what he means. And so in our passage today, in the, in the big message we're going to get to in a little bit, Peter uses some words to encourage 
all the people who read his letter to use their imaginations. And something that Peter says is this. He wants us to imagine that we are just like babies. Just like babies who want and long for milk. That's how Peter says we should be longing and wanting God and wanting God's holiness, God's love, his his compassion, his protection, his faithfulness, that we should want it as badly as a baby wants milk. Now, I don't know how many of you remember when you were a baby. I have a hard time remembering back that far. But I remember when my brother was a baby, and I remember when my son Elliot was a baby, and right now I have a baby at home who's 17 months old. And without exception, each one of those babies... Whenever they were hungry for milk, oh boy, watch out. I don't know if you have a brother or sister or if you've ever been around a baby that's really hungry, but no matter what you do, nothing makes that baby happy until they get what they want. You can hand them a bunch of toys like a baby rattle. Nope, doesn't work. You can give them a pacifier to suck on and just a couple, and nope, done. They spit it out. It's not giving them what they want. You can try to make funny faces at them and make kind of raspberry lips and do all kinds of things to distract them, but they have a single focus in mind. They want that food. They want a milk. They want that and nothing else. And that is what Peter says we should be like. That's the way we should be with God, that we should want God and his holiness. We should want God's love to be in our lives. We should want God's compassion to be in our lives. We should want God's mercy, the way that God is merciful, to be in us and working in us. That we should want it in the same way that a baby wants milk. You know what's really amazing is how badly a baby knows what it wants. You can try to fool it with these other things. You can try to make funny faces. You can try to give it a pacifier. You can try to do all these things but a baby has its mind made up. It knows what it wants, what it needs to grow. And how does it know what it wants? It's because it's tasted it before. Even a little baby knows the difference between milk and a pacifier, or between a funny face and getting food. And this, in the same way, Peter says, if we've tasted and known God and know how good he is, then we know we want more of it. And it's good for us to want more of it. We should be like a baby that wants a body. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the way that you help us to use our imaginations so that we can learn more about you. We pray that you would help us to taste and see that you're good, that we would know how good you are, that we would learn about your love and learn of what you've done to care for us and learn how you love us even when we're not that lovable sometimes. And that we would see all those things and get a taste for it and want more. We pray that over our children, Lord. We pray that over ourselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to set this bottle down before it rolls off of the stand here. Last week, we, uh, we saw how Peter wrote to these believers that he's been writing to in his letter, and he was writing to encourage them to be holy as the one who called them is holy. 
And uh, Peter, of course, provided some sobering thoughts to help them uh, pursue this holy living. He says that if you call on him as father, uh, remember the one that you call on as father is also an impartial judge that he judges according to deeds. And he also says, remember that you were bought or purchased or ransomed from those old ways of living to be God's holy children, not with silver or gold, but with something even more precious than that, with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And this instruction that Peter gives to these believers, you know, these are New Testament believers, and so just as Peter's writing to them, we're New Testament believers. We both have come to faith by hearing the good news of salvation that is presented in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so as Peter's writing to them, it's almost as if he's writing to us. And that's something that you're probably going to hear come out in my preaching today. But basically, as we hear Peter encourage Christians, including us, to be holy as God is holy, you know, it's an overwhelming task when we consider God's holiness and his perfection. It's an overwhelming thought. And so how do we even pursue this? How do we begin to be holy as God is holy? It's a monumental task. And I think what we're going to see today as Peter continues to encourage believers to live in this way is that being holy, taking on that family resemblance, as we talked about last week, it's a process. Being holy is a process. Just like a child grows up to embody the characteristics of the family, that God's children who are being born again don't look like God right from the start. We don't take on the family resemblance right away. And so in our passage today, we're going to cover quite a bit of scripture. We're going to go from verse 22 of chapter 1 to verse 12 of chapter 2. And what we're going to see is Peter traces out the process of being holy. And he'll, he'll uh, start at its beginning from its inception and even trace a line all the way to what it looks like when it comes to fulfillment. And um, we'll make some notes of some things along the way. But let's get into our passage this morning. 1 Peter beginning in verse 22. Listen now to God's word. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of, of a perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and its glory is like the flower of grass, grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Amen. Amen. Being holy, as we are going to see from all of this text that we just covered, being holy is a process. That though we're instructed to be holy, we are not expected to be holy overnight. But we are in the process of being made holy as God's children. We're in the process of taking on that family resemblance. And so throughout our time in relationship with God, we will still be learning what it means to be holy. It's a lifelong pursuit. And it's a process that is made possible and guided by the gospel. It's made possible and guided by everything that God has accomplished through Jesus Christ and been applied to us through the Holy Spirit. And Peter traces this in our passage this morning, from its inception to its fulfillment. And so what I'd like to do, you know, sometimes I've used alliteration to uh, give a structure to our sermon. Today I want to do something uh, that I saw done one time, and I thought, boy, that's really hard to do. But if you can do it, it's great. And that is to give the sermon in one sentence. I know you all are excited about this. Now, just so you know, I'm going to explain the sentence for a long time after this. But you're going to get the sermon in one sentence. And here is the sentence. This is the sermon, okay? Being holy is a process started by God, fueled by our hunger for holiness, guided by a pattern for our holiness, and undertaken for a purpose. That's the sermon today. That being holy is a process that is started by God, fueled by our hunger for holiness, guided by a pattern for holiness, and undertaken for a purpose. And so, uh, like all good processes, the process of holiness has a starting point. It has a beginning. And we see in Peter's writing that the process of holiness or being holy begins with God. The birth of holiness comes when through the gospel we are caused to be born again. We respond to this gospel by believing in it. That's kind of a, a summary of what we're going to be unpacking here when we say that being holy is a process that is started by God. So let's begin at the beginning. Uh, we see in Peter's writing here that he talks about once you were a people who were in darkness, but now you have been called into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but God has made you a people. Once you had not received mercy, but God has given you now mercy. You've received it from him. Peter's emphasis in those statements is that God is the cause of these things. And if you remember that reception of mercy, that harkens back to something Peter said 
in the beginning of his letter in verse 3. He said, out of his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again. And that word born again is a word that we see here in verse uh, 23, where Peter is mentioning once again how believers have been born again. And Peter explains how it is that God causes believers to be born again. What are the means in which this new life, uh, this regeneration takes effect? And it comes through preaching of the word of God. Peter's very clear, it comes through the word of God, God's living and eternal word, a word that does not perish. Peter says, flesh perishes. It's like the grass of the field, it's like the flowers of the field, but the word of God, the truth about him, and the truth defined by him transcends time. It is eternal. And so Peter writes that this is the word that was preached, and this is the word that was heard and believed. Upon hearing this word, they obeyed. Peter uses a very interesting phrase here in uh, verse 22. He writes, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. That phrase, obedience to the truth, is kind of an odd one. How do you obey truth? Um, it's not a way that we use that language very often. It's very similar to a phrase that Peter uses in the very greeting of his letter, where he began writing to these believers where he's addressing them and he introduces himself and he addresses all these people who are God's elect exiles, these chosen sojourners who are dispersed all throughout uh, the region of uh, what is now modern day Turkey. And he writes this greeting to them according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit. And listen to this, for obedience to Jesus Christ. It's another kind of little awkward phrase. What is obedience to Jesus Christ? Well, basically, obedience to the truth or obedience to Jesus Christ is another way that Peter is saying belief in the truth. Peter is saying that they believed in the truth that was preached to them. So having believed in the truth, your heart has been purified. The truth that re was revealed in God's word, the truth about who Jesus is and what he did for them the truth that we understand of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. See, belief is a cognitive act of obedience. It's one thing to be presented with truth and to intellectually understand it. Yeah, I get the concept, but it's another thing to say, I believe that. I put my trust in the fact that that is true. That is obedience to the truth. And that's only possible when God initiates us a, a rebirth in our hearts. When God opens our eyes and opens our ears to see and to hear the truth. And the evidence uh, of being born again is obeying the truth. There's a, a famous uh, or amazing speaker. I don't know how famous she is, but she's growing in popularity. And she's a spoken word artist. Her name is Jackie Hill Perry. And Jackie Hill Perry has this great testimony of God's work in her life to rescue her from herself. For many years, she embraced her attraction. Uh, uh, she had a same-sex attraction, and she practiced a, a lesbian lifestyle. And one of the things that she said was crucial to her being freed from that was to understand that her biggest sin was not being attracted and acting upon her attraction, but rather her biggest sin in her life, the biggest stumbling block between her and holiness and a right relationship with God was her unbelief. 
nothing else was going to change until her belief changed. Nothing else could change. It was something that God had to do in her. God had to change her mind and change her perspective. And when he did that, then she could see that the pattern of her life did not match up with the picture of what God desires for his people. When she could see the truth of what Jesus had done for her, then she could all of a sudden trust in what that was. Trust in what had been accomplished for her and then live differently and believe in that. See, when we believe the good news preached to us, the process of being holy begins. And we see that here it begins by believing uh, that, um, excuse me, we see here that when we, it begins, that when we believe in this truth and we obey it, that our hearts are made pure for something, for brotherly love. So not only has this process of holiness brought a new relationship with God as our father, right? We've been born again. God is now our father. We have a new relationship with him. But now we have a new relationship with one another. And that's something that Peter highlights and encourages. Since you have been born again through your obedience to the truth, you have been purified in your heart to love one another with a brotherly love. He says, then for, therefore do it. Love one another with that brotherly love. Live out this new relationship, this new family dynamic that you have been called to. This isn't a romantic kind of love, but this is the self-sacrificing kind of love, the love that demonstrates a care and an understanding that you and everyone who has received this new life of being born again from the mercy of God are now one people, one family. So right out of the gate, being holy begins with God initiating it. It takes immediate effect. God starts the process and he purifies our hearts as we are obedient to the truth. And we are committed to each other in a way that was never possible before. But the process doesn't stop there. There's still much more reformation that needs to take place, more uh, holiness that needs to take effect in our lives. So being holy is a process we see that is started by God, and we also see that it is fueled by our hunger for holiness. You know, Peter has already given this encouragement to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And as we shift into chapter 2 we see that he warns believers to rid ourselves of some impure behavior. He begins by saying, put away, get rid of it, remove this from yourself. And he lists out a list of impure behaviors, behaviors that are not holy, behaviors that threaten and disintegrate the relationships that God has tried to establish in his holy people between himself and his children. And so in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, Peter says, Put away or rid yourself of all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy and envy, and all slander. And this is a very specific list. He doesn't list other things you might expect to see in the list of uh, salty sins. You know, you might expect to see something about lust or greed. And really, Peter hones in on these because these are behaviors that threaten the kind of love that God's people are to display toward one another. Let's look at what some of these are and try to bring definitions to them. He says that we should get rid of all malice. Malice is an ill will. It's an intention to bring harm upon someone, to purposefully 
hurt them. That is not something that can exist in the brotherhood of the new family of God. To put away all deceit. Deceit is the action of hiding truth, of purposefully misleading people through actions or words so that they would be lost or so that they could be discouraged or so that they could be hurt. Deceit is not to exist between the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Hypocrisy. This is the action of being a, a double talker. This is someone who speaks in godly ways, who sounds like they have a great philosophy and worldview, but has no intentions of abiding by it. That they see loopholes for themselves. That they always make caveats for their behavior. Somebody who says it's important to care for the poor, but they never actually step in to do it. It's always a job for somebody else to do. Something that happens in God's people all too often. And it's not supposed to be there. Hypocrisy is not supposed to be a behavior that is exhibited in the family of God. Envy is the next one. Envy is a feeling of greed, but not just any greed. It's a feeling of resentful greed. Not just desiring something that someone else has, but desiring it with a bitterness in your heart toward them that belittles them. That, that wishes to steal it from them, that devalues them. Envy is not supposed to exist amongst God's people. His children are not to practice envy. Slander is the last one, and this is a sneaky one. This slips into a lot of the behaviors that we can exhibit in the church as God's people, unfortunately. Slander is the action of speaking against someone. It's the action of maligning someone's character. Essentially, it is character assassination. It's taking someone as they are presented in the world, and you can even take good things about that person and you can twist it so that they look like they are a terrible person, to turn people against them, speaking in such a way that destroys that person's reputation. Again, this happens all too often in God's church. God's people commit this action against brothers and sisters, and they even commit this action against the world, against the leaders in this world. And we need to be careful that we do not give in to this. Slander is not to be found amongst God's children. You can see why Peter tells them to rid themselves of such things. These behaviors are lethal to love. They disintegrate and corrupt the type of relationship that God is supposed to have with his children. They disintegrate the type of relationship that his children are supposed to have with one another. And so instead, Peter says that they should get rid of those things and they should instead be like infants, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you might grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter uses an illustration here explaining one way in which all Christians should be like newborn babies. Now some will look at this verse and interpret it to mean what Paul means when he wrote to 1 Corinthians. Paul has a, a moment in the letter to the Corinthian church where he says that they are like infants and that they should have spiritual milk. But the context of what Paul is addressing is different than what Peter is addressing. Paul is giving these words and they're not an encouragement they're a little bit more like an insult. There's some harsh words. What Paul is doing is reminding the Corinthian church, you guys are baby Christians. You are immature in your faith. 
I would love to give you a spiritual feast of meat and potatoes, but you're so immature, I can only give you a little bit of milk. That's all you can take to nourish yourselves. That's not the argument that Peter is making here. Peter's not making the argument that they're so uh, immature. Peter's making the argument that they should want to be fed just like a baby has a desire for milk, just as we learned in the children's sermon. Their craving should be to develop a hunger for the holiness of God. God's holiness should be something that we understand more and more and that we should desire to have and we should not be satisfied with anything less. The craving, as we saw in the children's message, how do you develop a craving for God's holiness? You have to taste it first. You have to have an encounter with God's holiness. You have to understand his love and his compassion and his perfection to want it to infiltrate your life and be a part of what nourishes and strengthens your growth. You know, once babies are introduced to milk, it's amazing how uh, voraciously they can uh, long for that thing. It nourishes them and it comforts them. There's never been a more hangry and demanding creature than a baby that longs for milk. If you've ever been around one, that's been my life for the past 17 months. But when they get it, and that baby finally gets to feast upon the milk that it's longed for, it's like a switch is flipped. They calm down, they start to be cute again, and they grow. Peter writes that being holy is a process of growth. They should long for this milk so that they can grow into their salvation. You see, our craving, our feasting on holiness, our desire should be so that we increase in holiness and grow in maturity. What's interesting is that if babies don't cry, if they don't let their parents know that they're hungry, that's a a dangerous situation in which babies can become malnourished. Sometimes when we're watching infants grow, and I've seen a lot of infants in churches I've been a part of, you'll see some babies that boy, they've tasted milk, that's all they want, and they let you know when they need it. And there's other babies that have a hard time expressing what they need. Maybe they haven't had a a great attraction to the bottle or to the supplements that have been offered to them. And so they don't cry out whenever they're hungry. And parents have to force feed just to keep them nourished. And what we can see is that we should not be like a baby that doesn't cry out but we should be developing an appetite, tasting God's goodness and holiness and desiring that, uh, that goodness and not settling until we get it. So being holy is a process that's started by God. It's fueled by our hunger for holiness and it is guided by our pattern for holiness. Peter transitions now in his letter from these uh, illustrations about a new birth you know, being born again and crying infants to talking about living stones being built into a spiritual house. And the image that Peter is drawing from is actually an old one. It goes back all the way to the Old Testament. The idea of stones being built into a spiritual house is an idea, a picture of the temple that comes from the Old Testament. And the temple was the dwelling place uh, where God would dwell in the midst of his people. God gave instructions for worship so that he could be with his people in the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, what we see is that the temple is actually given with a pattern. The first pattern for the dwelling place of God, where God would dwell with his people, was given to Moses to construct the tabernacle. 
the tent of meeting. And that place, that tent of meeting, was the place that God designated as his house. And so it was built in a very specific way. It was a pattern that was given and constructed. And Israel was instructed to assemble themselves around that tent in such a way that God would dwell in the midst of them. And so if you had an aerial view of uh, the encampment of Israel in the wilderness at the time of Moses, you'd see the temple, uh, or sorry, excuse me, you'd see the tabernacle in the center of the camp with all of the tribes encamped around it. And so it was a very visual and vivid uh, picture of God's presence dwelling in the midst of his people. And the temple, many centuries later, was built in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was to be a holy city. It was a place designated for the construction of this house where God would dwell, where his presence would fill. And if you did an aerial shot, satellite uh, view of Israel, Jerusalem is surrounded by the territories of all the tribes, just like the Old Testament camp. And Jerusalem would contain this spiritual house, this temple that was built out of stone. And so what Peter's doing is he's drawing on this Old Testament reference, this idea of God's dwelling place, the place where he would live amongst his people. And he's basically saying that God is building a new house. He's building a new place in which he will dwell. But it's not a place that's built with stones, but rather living stones. In other words, it's built and made up of people. This is why, people, this is why Peter refers to believers as living stones. And he uses this temple language to really describe the church. Just as he uh, promised to dwell among his people in the Old Testament, God has promised to dwell among his people in the New Testament um, by making them his dwelling place. So God is taking up residence in his people. Once God dwelled in the heart of the camp and, and later in the heart of the, the nation, and now he will dwell in the hearts of his people. And just as Old Testament structures followed a pattern in the way that they were built so that they could uh, be God's dwelling place, so does this new temple of living stones. Peter first describes Christ as a living stone to which we come to. And we know he's talking about Christ because he describes this living stone as one that was rejected by men but chosen and precious by God. And we need to understand... Um, that as Peter supplies this Old Testament language, more identifiers are coming in about this living stone, right? This living stone that's chosen and precious is a cornerstone that God has perfectly set in place in Zion to build a spiritual house for himself. And it's a stone that other builders rejected. Some people think they could build a way to have a relationship with God that does not include Jesus, and they reject him. And to them, it is a stone of offense. We need to understand that the cornerstone idea, this imagery that Peter uses and draws from from these Old Testament passages is a special one. Uh, the cornerstone was a very special stone because it guided the construction of the entire building. The cornerstone is the first stone to be set in place. And so if the cornerstone is not perfectly set, the building cannot stand. It won't be square. If the cornerstone is perfect, then the rest of the building can be built up from it and out from it. And every stone can be set in reference to it. And so what Peter is teaching us is that being holy is a process that follows a pattern. 
just like building depends on the perfect placement and the patterning of the cornerstone, we depend on Christ's perfect righteousness. We only remain in place because of his perfect life and death on our behalf, because he is a special and perfect cornerstone placed in, uh, in Zion by God. We have a place to be set. So here Peter uses language that is similar to the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, 19 through 23. Paul's writing to these Gentile believers in Ephesus, and he is reminding them that they are members of God's household. They're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too, brothers and sisters, you and I are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the idea that Peter is trying to capture. Jesus is the pattern for God's people, the one that we come to. We know we're in the right place by how we align with Jesus. We know we're in the right place by how we rest upon Jesus. Jesus is uh, to be our reference. Aligning with him brings holiness in our lives. And so we are living stones being built up, resting upon his righteousness and being patterned after his righteousness, just like stones that are placed to rest upon the cornerstone in the construction of a building. And so these Old Testament pictures fill out that picture of Jesus living as a, uh, Jesus Christ as the living cornerstone. Christ is special and he acts as the cornerstone of this new building, but not everyone sees it. Some look to Jesus and think that he's not really God's son, that he's not what is necessary to be built into the dwelling place of God, to have that relationship with God. And so just as any person does who does not have the right perspective or who has poor judgment, they don't see the cornerstone and they stumble over it. It becomes a rock of offense. Peter says that's because God has not opened their eyes to see. The last thing that we see being holy is a process. It's started by God. It's fueled by our hunger for holiness. It's guided by a pattern for holiness, and it's undertaken for a purpose. Here, Peter explains the goal of all this holiness. And the first two are very simple. We've kind of seen them, um, seen them illustrated throughout the passage so far. But the first one, the first reason for being holy is it's to uh, facilitate this new relationship that we have with God, the new relationship that we have with God as our Father. Secondly, the purpose of holiness is to facilitate the relationship we are supposed to have with our brothers and sisters, everyone else who has been called out of mercy to be one of God's children. Those are two purposes of holiness, to facilitate our fellowship with God, to create intimacy with him, and to facilitate our love and affection and our brotherhood with our brothers and sisters in Christ. But we also see a third reason, a crucial reason for our holiness that Peter is going to demonstrate and explain further throughout his message, and that is our holiness is to be a witness to the world. It is to display God's glory to the world. It's beautiful how Peter builds this picture of this spiritual house, this spiritual building that is to basically uh, be built up into a people who declare the marvelous works of God, 
that God's people are to be a temple where God displays his love and faithfulness and power to the world. That God's holiness is to be exhibited and lived out in the way that we live. God desires to use us as a witness to the nations. Some people will look to the building and they'll see the cornerstone and they'll not believe. But some will. Just as we received the word that was preached, just as we tasted and saw the goodness of the Lord and then longed for more holiness, God will use his holy people bring that about in other people's lives, to expand the walls of this building, this holy temple that he is building, this people of God in which he will dwell. So what are some takeaways? That's a lot to cover, a lot of content to understand about the process of being holy, but there's some important things that we should take away from all of this. First, we need to take away that we need to know the source of holiness begins with God. It began with him. He defines it and he gives it. And we can't be holy without having him changing our hearts, opening our eyes to see the truth. We can't expect holiness. You know, right now we look at our nation and we expect people to be holy. We want people to be holy. We're tired of seeing the brokenness. We're tired of seeing people treat uh, people the way that they do. And so we expect holiness from our nation. We expect holiness from our kids. We expect holiness from our spouse. But in all these ways... The expectation is going to be very discouraging if God is not at work to begin the process in the first place. If God has not done the things to help them open their eyes and see the truth and believe it, not just intellectually understand it, but to believe it and put their trust in it, we're not going to see holiness. We'll see morality, but that will ebb and flow. We're not going to see the type of relationship and love that people are going to uh, desire closeness and intimacy with their father. We're not going to see them long for the pure spiritual milk of God's holiness in their life. We're not going to see them love their brothers and sisters and put away malice and deceit and envy and slander and hypocrisy. We're not going to see any of that unless God begins the work. We need to understand that intellectual understanding is not the same as belief. And until we believe in the good news and trust in it, until we believe that Jesus is who he is and what he did actually accomplish what is promised, we're not going to see evidences of holiness. You see, it's dangerous to try to be built into a spiritual house of holy people without being built upon that foundation where Christ is the cornerstone. The walls will not be straight. The stones will not be connected to Christ and built up into a place where God's presence dwells. It is a temple in which idols are worshipped. Trying to be holy without resting on the cornerstone, without coming to Jesus, without receiving and believing the gospel, it's impossible. There is no possibility for holiness. But with a new relationship, when God opens our eyes and and causes us to be born again, it is possible. So we need to be aware of that, and we need to be praying for that. We need to be praying for that, not only for our family and our friends and our nation, but we maybe even need to be praying for that for ourselves. God, open my eyes to trust. 
I understand everything, but I can't believe. We need to be praying for them. Otherwise, our pursuit of holiness is in vain. But what we, when we have tasted and seen, when we are aware, then we need to fuel that holiness by longing for it. We need to fuel it and build up this appetite like a baby longs for spiritual milk. We need to be patterning ourselves after our example of holiness. We need to be setting ourselves on Christ, resting on him, knowing he is our access to be built up. He is our access to have this new relationship with God. He is our access to have this connection with the brothers and sisters of Christ. And he is also our pattern, looking to him for how we display holiness in our life. How did Jesus live? What are the ways in which we need to align ourselves with him? That little wristband we used to wear all the time in youth group when I was growing up, what would Jesus do, right? There's a, there's a sense in which that question is very helpful as we try to examine ourselves and see how are we in reference to Christ, our cornerstone? How does our holiness match his? To give another example of uh, the family, you might think that Christ is our older brother. And so what are the ways in which we need to grow so that we can be just like our older brother who perfectly resembles our heavenly father? The last thing we need to do is embrace and fulfill our purpose to love our brothers and sisters and to be obedient children, yes, but also to declare the praises of God, to declare what he's done and understand that as we embrace this process of being holy, this process that God has started and is continuing in our lives as we grow and are nourished by it, the process of being set upon Christ and being aligned in all of the aspects of this process, there is a visible witness to the world that God is holy. It's to be shown in us and displayed for the world to see so that they might glorify our Heavenly Father. And what Peter's going to do is he's going to break out what that looks like in specific contexts of life. And we're going to see that in the coming weeks. It's an important message for us to understand we are God's people. We are a spiritual house that he has built up. He has called us from this place of darkness into marvelous light. He has caused us, us a people who were not a people to become his people so that we might be witnesses displaying his glory in the world. How can we embrace and fulfill that mission? How can we long for spiritual milk? How can we true ourselves according to the cornerstone and rest upon that foundation so that we might display his glory? Brothers and sisters, that is a word for us to meditate on this week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word. We thank you for how strongly Peter writes, how vividly he provides words to uh, goad our imagination and guide us into understanding the call to be your holy people. Father, we thank you for your grace in this process. We thank you for how you have began the process in our lives, how you have purchased us from that place of darkness ransoming us through Jesus' precious blood so that we might enter into this new life, experiencing the marvelous light of your holiness. Father, help us in this day of Pentecost that we celebrate, uh, the Pentecost that happened many years ago when your spirit took up residence among your people and in their hearts. Help us to be holy as you are holy. 
give us great patience with one another and great ability to encourage one another to long for that growth and to display and live out holiness so that the world might see and this kingdom, this holy temple might be built. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. because we do not have power to change anything in our lives or this world apart from you. We come before you now with hurting hearts, aching hearts, humbled hearts. We come to you, the maker of the sun, moon, stars, and galaxies. We come to you who blesses the just and the unjust, rain, sunshine, and all that we need. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come to you today because we need you to move in us, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in our states, in our country, and, O oh Lord, the world. Father, the Bible teaches us that the church of Jesus Christ is made up of people called out of the domain of spiritual darkness and death, death of sin, and called into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Father, our world is in darkness. Our country is in darkness. The powers of darkness, of evil, seek to destroy your creation. People seek to destroy each other. And Lord, we confess today that the church is weak. Today, today this country this world, each and every home watching and all over the globe stands in need of the life-giving, soul-freeing, heart-transforming good news of Jesus Christ. Oh, great God, you created humanity, every color, male and female. You created humanity, and since the fall of our first parents in the Garden of Eden, mankind is still broken. The Bible teaches us Jesus came into the world to rescue the broken, to give new spiritual life to dead souls, to give good news to the poor, to heal broken marriages, to teach men and women how to love and respect each other as people made in the image of God, and to call to yourself, God, a church, a church from every people,
from every tribe, from every tongue, and from every single nation. Father God, we need you today. We need you, Lord, to give life to your church that we might be light, light in this world, light in each and every city, O oh God, like the city of Minneapolis, like Washington, D.C., like Charlotte, North Carolina, like Louisville, Kentucky, like Los Angeles. The churches, God, need the word of God preached and taught in the power of the Spirit that your people might be saturated with truth. Supply the churches, God, with your precious word. Transform lives, O oh God, by renewing minds and conforming us more and more into the image of King Jesus as our brother Ryan taught us, Pastor Ryan taught us. Father God, teach and empower your churches to live in such a way that others all around us recognize that we belong to another kingdom, different, set apart from the world we're in today, that they might long for the kingdom of Christ. Father God, teach and empower your churches to take advantage of this great moment in time and share the Lord Jesus Christ with others. May we not disengage ourselves from the culture, but go into the culture with the only news that can save people who are on their way to an eternal hell. Father, your people need to encounter you, the living God. Only you, God. Only you can change the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. Only you. Father, we ask you to remember those among us today in our fellowship here at Church of the Atonement who are hurting, who are grieving, those without work. Father, we ask you, we plead with you to speak comfort and peace to Gil and Kim, Gabriel and Bella Godienko as they lost Gil's mother Lilia this week. Father, they need your sweet presence as they mourn and remember their loved one. Father, strengthen those who are hospitalized, those recovering from sickness, those fighting cancer among us, those who labor as medical professionals in our church. Father, our session, our diaconate needs your guidance. Our presbytery needs your guidance. Our denomination and all Christian denominations today need your guidance, Holy Spirit. Father, the churches of Jesus Christ all over the world need you. Father, grant us holy spiritual light that dispels the darkness of sin. Father, pour out salvation upon our world. Rain down your salvation in Jesus Christ to men, women, boys, and girls all over the United States. God, even in these days, Father, we ask you to display your power, your wisdom, your mercy, and your grace in these days. The fields are ripe and ready for harvest. Father, send laborers into your harvest. In Jesus' name we pray, and we pray expectant.
Amen and amen. Brothers and sisters, let's sing together. May the mind of Christ my sing. holy as God is holy is a monumental task and it is a call that has great weight to it. It has a purpose that God's people are to display his glory and be the channel in which they sit, get a sense of, to taste and see God's goodness and grace and mercy and love. And so may God help us to be holy 
as he is holy. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us now and always. Amen.